You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, if I, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us, whether it's via Zoom or here in the room at Baker. I said that last week in camp. My son came up to me and said, I like when you say over Zoom or in the room. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I should keep saying that. So shout out to him. All right. Uh, well, but I'm really, really glad that we're all here today because to, we're actually wrapping up what is a very pivotal kind of key, important series for us, for our, for our church. Now, this is like a, a big deal for us as we've been talking about our vision as a church family, like what we really want to see happen or what we're saying. This is our big prayer, and we've been talking about how we can partner with God to see it become a reality. And if you've been tracking with us, you know this by now, that our, our big prayer is this, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in Austin as it is in heaven. Of course, on earth as it is in heaven, we're all for that as well, but because God has us here in Austin, we say in Austin as it is in heaven. And that is our big vision, our big prayer. It's what we want because in heaven, Everything is as it is meant to be. In heaven, nothing is broken. In heaven, everything is right. In heaven, people have peace with God through Christ. And through Christ, they have peace with one another. That relationships with each other are whole and flourishing and, and, and you know, perfect. It's so good. In heaven, the, the, the justice reigns. In heaven, the last are first in heaven. Joy and peace and love is experienced by all because we're in the very presence of God in heaven. Things are as they are supposed to be, and who doesn't want that for our city? We want that for Austin. Jesus wants that for Austin. This is just the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray for in Matthew 6, right? So we say, okay, this is what we want. We've been talking about that in this series, but then we've also come to the question, okay, this is what we're after. This is what we want to see God do, and we want to partner with it. Then what is our role in that? And we've been saying that our role is twofold. The first role is that we actually are to pray for this. And I've said it week after week, and hopefully by now you are beginning to make this a part of your regular prayer life, that on a daily basis you are praying, God, would you make it in Austin as it is in heaven, would your kingdom come, which will be done, that you're praying for this. Please do that. If you're not doing that, please join us. It's a vital way that we partner with God to see this take place. But the second way that we partner with God and seeing Austin become more like heaven is by us following Jesus. For as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. And so in this series that we've been in and we're wrapping up today, We've been talking about how Jesus' open invitation to all of us, to everyone, to you and to me, to all of us, is to follow him. He says, come, follow me, and you, as you follow me, you will be with me, and you will become like me, and you will do what I've been doing. So in this series, we've taken these three you know, goals of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, or to use modern-day vernacular, an apprentice of Jesus. And we say, okay, an apprentice of Jesus or disciple of Jesus reorients their life around these three things right here. Hopefully you know them by now. 
You know, I quizzed my sons about this this week. They did okay, all right? But hopefully y'all are like, you've got this down. That's, that's a little peek of what it's like to be a, a pastor's son, right? It's like I'm having breakfast with them. And I'm like, what are the three goals of a disciple? So, you know, poor guys, pray for them. They have to put up with me. But hopefully y'all know this by now, right? These are the three goals of a disciple, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And in, uh, and in this series, we've been taking those one at a time, and today we come to that final one, to do what Jesus did. Then a goal, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should know, okay, well, my goal is to do what Jesus did. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little overwhelming. Like, like really? Like, to, to do what he did? But before you, like, begin to, like, you know, push back on that, I just want you to see that this was Jesus's stated goal right from the very beginning of calling his disciples. Like if you take the passage that Zach just read for us, his very initial call to the disciples, he says, okay, follow me and I'm going to make you into what what I am. I'm going to have you do what I'm doing. And if you follow that theme throughout the entire gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus is actually at work making that a reality. And so what I want to do as we get this message started this morning is just to trace that theme through the book of Matthew. So you can see this for yourself, that this is really is Jesus's goal for you, that you would become, be with him, become like him, and then do what he did. All right, so let's go back to that passage Zach just read for us, Matthew chapter four, uh, from Matthew chapter 4, and read that again. So it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, real quick, let me stop there, because that, that idea of fish for people can also be translated, I will make you fishers of men, and that feels like a really cheesy pun. And it's like, come on, Jesus, can you, you're better than that, right? But, like, but we just need to know that that's not a cheesy pun. That was actually a, 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 a very popular Hebrew idiom or figure of speech for a great teacher. For a great teacher, a rabbi of that day was someone who captured the imaginations and the hearts and the minds of people. So they were like a fisher of people. And so Jesus is saying here from his initial call to the disciples, hey, come follow me, come be with me, and I will make you like me. You will do what I'm doing. And so look how they respond. At once they left their nets and followed him. Why? Because what Jesus had on offer was much better than what they were currently doing. They say, okay, like, if that's what I can do, I'm dropping what my career, <laughs> saying bye to my dad, and I'm headed off with you. That's actually what we see happen next when Jesus calls the other guys. Look at this. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, hey, come, come follow me. Come be my apprentices. And look how they responded. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Why? Because Jesus, what Jesus had to offer is better than what they were currently experiencing. Come be with me. I will make you like me. Now, keep going. Book of Matthew. Next verse. Jesus went through the Gal, uh, throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, so he's teaching because he's a rabbi, but he's more than a rabbi. He's also the Messiah. So he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's healing every disease, sickness among the people. Keep, keep on going. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. 
And look how broad this is. Keep going. News, uh, uh, news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were, well, I'm sorry, keep going. There it is. Paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, that's like the, a region with 10 cities. And then Jerusalem, Judea, down in the south, and the region across the Jordan, all followed him. So he's gaining this like, giant following, right? And then in chapter 5, very next verse, we read this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Okay? So crowds gather, he calls his disciples to go up, and what happens next is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous teachings found in Matthew, rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and all the way through the end of chapter 7. And if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, or it's been a little while since you've read it, I highly recommend that you even take time tonight, maybe before you go to bed, and just read it, because it's basically Jesus' manifesto of what it looks like to live as a, his apprentice in his kingdom here. So it's really worth your time to read, but we're not going to get a chance to look at it right now. So that's why I said read it tonight, because what happens after this teaching, if you just keep going and follow this theme in the book of Matthew, if you pick up in uh, chapter 9, here's what we read. Verse, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And if you're new to the New Testament or not real familiar with your first century uh, Jewish culture, uh, you should know that uh, tax collectors were hated, like they were the dregs of society. And basically, a tax collector was a traitor. They were working for the Roman Empire, uh, and, and which were the oppressors of that day. So they've, they've aligned themselves with the Roman Empire against their own people. It'd be the equivalent of a... Um, a, a Jewish traitor uh, in Nazi Germany in World War II spying on and out, outing, outing other Jews. Like, it's just the worst of the worst. And yet, look what Jesus says to him. Follow me, he told him. <laughs> like, uh, Matthew, like, hey, Matthew, uh, what's your tax collector? Come follow me. Come, come, come be my apprentice. And look what Matthew responds. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And look how the religious leaders of that day respond. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why is, why is this guy hanging out with these people? These people are the, are the worst, right? And look what happens. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And he quotes from the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now here's the point of this. What we learn from this is that Jesus' call to follow him really is available to all people. That you don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to get your stuff together. You don't, you know, no matter what you've done or what, how messy your situation is, Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. Come and be with me. I want you to follow me. It's an open invitation to all, just like it was right here with Matthew. Okay? If you keep going to the end of chapter 9, let's look at what happens next. Pick up in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through... All the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That word meaning he was, he was moved on a, like, on a gut level, like his stomach hurt for people. And he says, uh, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so here's what he says next. He says, okay, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Like, I'm just one person. Look at how many people need help. I need help. So he turns to his disciples. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Like, pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, this word send right here is a significant word, but it doesn't feel like a significant word to us in the English. It's like, yeah, just, you know. But uh, the word is captured better in, in the Latin translation because the Latin translation is the word missio. And missio is the word that we get all of our English words, derivatives off of for mission. And so mission and missionary, those, those words come from the Latin translation of this Greek word that we translate as sin. And here's why that's significant. It's because this carries with it the concept or the idea of not just being sent, but actually being sent to join Jesus in his kingdom work. That that's what a, a missionary is. A missionary is just someone who is sent by God to join in the kingdom work of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, pray, because I need more workers. I need more missionaries who will join me in my work, who will do what I am doing. And then look what he does next. Very next verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is Jesus saying, okay, you prayed for that, and guess what? You're the answer to that prayer, all right? Like, you're up, guys. You've been with me for a little while. You have seen what I've been doing. You are becoming like me. You've adopted my lifestyle, and you're working in your life, and now you're up. You're the ones I'm sending to go join in my work to do what I'm doing. And so he sends them out to do this and tells us who they are. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon is called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Those were all the fishermen, right? Matthew 4. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and look at this guy. Matthew, the tax collector, like he made the 12. Amazing. And then James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then he says, okay, these are the people that he's sending out. Look what it says next. These 12 Jesus sent, that's our word. Jesus sent out with the following instructions. And this is basically their first opportunity. Like, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you the first task. This isn't the final sending out. This is get your feet wet, all right? Begin joining. Let's practice doing what I'm doing. So he says, here's how I want you to begin. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the whole message in a nutshell once in it. Sound familiar? It's our vision. In Austin as it is in heaven, that heaven has come near. This is what you're to tell people. Now, he say, okay, how is it coming near? Look what he says they're going to do next. This is the picture of it coming near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And I love this line. Freely you have received freely give. It's okay, you've been with me for a while. You've, you, 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 know, you didn't do anything for me to call you to be my disciple. I just freely gave you that opportunity. I'm freely giving you my teaching, freely giving you my love. 
And now, just as you've been freely given, I want you to turn around, and I want you to freely give. Now, that's what they go and do. We don't see it in the book of Matthew. We see it in Luke chapter 10, at least a glimpse of what it looked like. They go, and then they come back, and Jesus kind of debriefs the mission with them and what that was like, and they kind of give them some coaching around that. But, like, this is them beginning to do what Jesus did. Now, last passage. You go all the way to the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Last story. I know this is a lot of Bible. I'm sorry for so much Bible on Sunday morning. I'm not, I'm not actually sorry. But um, let me read this. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says, uh, Then the eleven disciples, so that's the twelve minus Judas who betrayed Jesus, uh, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so, like again, for context here, this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he's appeared to the disciples a few times, but they're still like, wait, what a second? Like, you're, you died. I know you died, but now you're alive again. And so they're trying to figure this out. And Jesus is about to uh, ascend to the Father, to be at the right hand of the Father. So he's got these final words of instruction for them. And so this is what... He says, it says, then Jesus came to them, resurrected Christ, and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he gives them this promise. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. I know that was a lot that I just kind of walked through. But did you pick up on what Jesus was up to in all of that? Did you, did you kind of sense that there was a methodology at play? See, uh, social uh, theorists say that there are four key stages in the training of an apprentice. And if you are in the marketplace or in business school, you, you know this already. But sta- stage one is this. It's, it's I do and you watch. And like, that's Jesus, Matthew 4, come and follow me, come and be with me. Next stage, stage two, is I do, and you help, right? So I think about Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, right? We didn't read that, but if you're familiar with that story, is Jesus feeds the 5,000, but he gets his disciples to be involved. He's like, you just pass out the bread. Like, I just want you to get, you know, do something as a part of this. So I do, you help. Then stage three is things kind of switch, and so it's you do and I help. That's, that's Matthew 10, right? That's Jesus sending them out and then coaching them when they come back and helping them through that. And then final stage, stage four, is you do and I watch. And that's Matthew 28. Go make disciples, but I'm with you always. He's doing more than watching but you have this role. Now you're really doing what I've been doing. Now I'm with you. See, Jesus' plan from the very beginning of calling his disciples was to train them up to go and do what he did, that they would join in his kingdom work. And that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we know that that's what the point of apprenticeship is, right? Like I think about... uh, Katie Goodfellow. Katie doesn't know I was going to call her out here, but Katie is in 
uh, residency for uh, medical school. And my guess is that she's in medical school. She's going to be in medical school for a, lo- a very long time, a very, very long time. But my guess is at the end of that time, her hope is that she could just watch Grey's Anatomy and be able to explain what they're talking about, right? That her goal at the end of that time of being in this residency or being an apprentice is that she would actually become a doctor and practice medicine, right? That's the point of apprenticing under someone is that eventually you're going to do what they're doing. But here's the thing. For some reason, especially in the church in the West, it just seems to get lost on us. That the point of following Jesus, that one of the major goals in following Jesus is so that you will, as you follow him, over time, because it's a process, but that over time you would actually be able to do the things that Jesus did and to join him and his work. His kingdom work. And friends, I I don't know about you, but like, that feels scary. And that feels what might feel overwhelming. But I'll tell you too, it feels really exciting. Because like, if you're curious, like, what is Jesus' work? What does that mean? Like, if I'm going to do what he did, what does that include? Well, let me just give you a list of those. And this is not by any means exhaustive, but here's some highlights, right? It means like proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick. And teaching the way, like the way, the lifestyle of Jesus. And it's eating and drinking with people far from God. And it's doing justice. And it's giving generously. And it's peacemaking. And training disciples and serving the marginalized and confronting religious corruption. Again, just to name a few. But the point of following Jesus, one of his major goals in your life, and if you're a follower of him, one of your major goals should be to do all of this. To get to where you're doing the things that Jesus did. And friends, this is why Austin will become a lot more like heaven as we become a lot more like Jesus. Because can you imagine the impact that this will have on your family members and on your neighbors and on your friends and your classmates and your roommates and your coworkers? If we are living like this, if we're doing the things that Jesus did, can, can you um, imagine what it would be like if we're, if we're eating and drinking with those far from God and over the table, which is the best place to do this? We proclaim the gospel. We communicate who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And people actually put their faith in Christ and heaven breaks in. And they experience peace with God that ultimately will lead to peace with others. Like That's what we're called to do. Can you imagine what will happen if we, as followers of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, are praying for God to heal the sick and heaven breaks in and God fixes what's broken? Or that when we are confronted with injustice or we come along and love and serve the marginalized and we we treat them with dignity and respect and with honor that's only reserved usually for the first, for the best, for the most, you know, wealthy in our society. But instead we're doing that like Jesus did to all people and heaven comes near and breaks in. Austin will become a lot more like heaven. When we become a lot more like Jesus, I think about what this would be like, what impact this would have for the single moms and for the widows and for the elderly and for the poor and for the homeless and for the the orphan, for the foster children in our city. I think about Josh and Kari right now 
fostering again. And this now fostering a little baby girl who's had a, a rough go already in life, much rougher than anyone should experience. And yet in their home now, heaven has come near. For this little girl, as she experiences the love and the peace and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness of Jesus through them as they do what Jesus would do. Because this is what Jesus invites us into. This is what he has on offer. He says, hey, come, come follow me. Be with me. Become like me. And do what I did. Now, some of y'all are thinking, most likely, Jake, that sounds great. I'm all for that. But there is a problem. And the problem is that Jesus is God. (laughs) And I am not. All right? And so I don't know if you know that, but I, I'm not. And, and y'all need to know that I'm not either. Right? And so uh, you think, okay, but I can't do what Jesus did. I can't do all this because I'm not God. Right? So this is just, this is impossible. If you're thinking that way, that's, you know, that comes to your mind. I just want you, I just want you to hear this. And I'll, I'll say this like really like out of love and gentle to you. But that, there's a problem with that line of thinking. And the problem with that line of thinking is that uh, basically Jesus' first disciples did all of the things that he did, even the real miraculous stuff. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see the first century church, they also did all the things that Jesus did. It's like, well, how did, they weren't God, so how did, how did they do that? Well, the reason they could do that, and the reason you and I can do that, is because the power to do the things that Jesus did comes through the Holy Spirit. And that's actually how Jesus did the things that he did. Did you know that? Like I love in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38, uh, Peter has gone to this Gentile's house, Cornelius, and, he, and he's talking to them, and he, he just this powerful summary of Jesus' ministry. Here's what he says. He says, um, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with what? With the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How did Jesus do it? Because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And from that, power. And friends, that's the same thing that happened with the disciples. Acts 1.8, hey, the Spirit's going to come on you in power. You're going to be my witnesses. And it's what happens to every single one of us. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as, the, as your you know, to, for the forgiveness of your sin as your Savior. You trust that he died for you as, in your place, that he rose again. In that moment, that precise moment, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in your mortal body, as the Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability, the power to do what Jesus did. It is possible. But a lot of us would say, well, I've been a Christian for a long time. 
And I've had the Holy Spirit for a long time. And I've never done any of those things. Or I've barely done any of those things. Maybe a couple of those things. Like maybe I accidentally ate with someone far from God. And, you know, I was, but I wasn't thinking about that. You know, whatever. And, uh, you know, so why, why am I not seeing that? Well, let me give you, as we kind of try to wrap this thing up a little bit, let me just give you three uh, thoughts. Because uh, I know that this can feel overwhelming and it can feel scary and we can kind of be pretty skeptical about can we really do the things that Jesus did. And so I just want to kind of give you three encouraging thoughts here. Hopefully it will help us take a step in this direction. The, the first, uh, my first word of encouragement, if you will, is this. That the, uh, abide, uh, the ability to do what Jesus did comes from abiding in Jesus. That if it feels overwhelming to you to try to do these things that Jesus did, that's good. You're, that means you're, you don't have some kind of like God disorder, like you can just go and do this by yourself, right? Like we can't do the things that Jesus did in and of our own power. However, we can as we abide in Christ because like a branch to the vine, he's the source and he can bear fruit through us. So, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, abiding in Christ is so important. And the way that we abide in Christ was taught to us by Jesus, specifically by how he lived. The way that we abide in the presence of God the way that we, you know, receive the power of God, the Holy Spirit working through us, is by remaining in the vine or remaining in the presence of God. We learn that from Jesus' lifestyle, from him doing the things like, you know, practicing a Sabbath each week. And silent, getting away for silence and solitude and praying and meditating on Scripture and fasting. It's, it's, it's as we practice and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus that we are living in a way that is abiding. And it's from that place that we have his power to be able to do the things that he did. You can't do it on your own, but we can abide. And as we do, he gives us the ability to do the things that he did. Which, friends, that should drive all of us to abide. If you look at that list of all the things that Jesus did and you're like, oh, I could never do that. I'm just so feel overwhelmed. Like you don't go out after this afternoon and be like, okay, I'm going to start healing the sick. Come on, bring them on. I'm gonna, I, I got this. No, no. <laughs> what you do is you go and abide. You go spend time with God. You open up your Bible. You start practicing silence and solitude. You put a day in the week for you just for rest and worship the Sabbath. You start abiding and over time because it takes time. It's a process, but over time, God gives you his power to begin doing the things that Jesus did. So let that drive you to abide. That's the first thing, okay? So if you're like overwhelmed, begin there. That's where we all need to begin. It's first and foremost, abide. That's where the ability comes from. Second encouragement is this. The ability to identify what Jesus would do comes from listening. Okay, the ability to identify what Jesus would do comes from listening, and specifically it comes from listening to God and listening to others in your Christian community. Here's, 
Here's what I mean by this, okay? I, I, back in the 90s, right? Uh, some of y'all were born then. Um, amazing. But um, back in the 90s, there's this like really popular uh, bracelet. You remember these things that said uh, WWJD on them? And this stood for what would Jesus do? And um, you know, I, I think that, that they, were, they were great. That's a great, that's a great question. It, was, it was, got kind of uh, cheesy as it got more and more popular, but it was, a good, it, was a good, it was a good question. However, the problem with that question is that it's a little misleading, right? Because that question, what would Jesus do? It's, it's hard to do that because Jesus was a first century male itinerant rabbi, Right? And I don't think any of y'all are that, right? In fact, I know none of y'all are. So uh, when you ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? You're asking, well, like, what would a first century male itinerant rabbi do? And so, like, if you're praying about where you should live, you're thinking about moving, and you're like, okay, well, should we rent in the city close to central Austin, but it's more expensive, or should I buy a house way out in the suburbs and fight traffic and be a lot less cool, and, you know, you're, but you're considering that. And so you're like, okay, well, what should I do? Well, let me ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, it's not necessarily real helpful because he would probably have just camped, right? Or, or like surfed, couch surfed on his rich friend's, you know, how, at his rich friend's house. Like that's basically what he did, right? And so it's not going to really help you. So here, here's what I think is actually a more helpful question to ask. More helpful question to ask is, okay, what would Jesus do if he was me? Like if he had my gender, if he had my age, if he had my education or lack thereof, if he had my experiences, if he was in my setting, if he had my relationships, if he had, you know, if he was a dad to my kids or he was a mom to our kids or he's married to my spouse, like, what would Jesus do if he were me? That's a great question. But the answer to that question requires you to listen. And specifically to listen to God and to listen to Christian community, as I said. Where you would actually, again, in spiritual disciplines, practicing spiritual discipline, practicing the way of Jesus, getting time with God on a regular basis. Okay, here's my life. Here's what I got going on today. Jesus, if, if you were me, what would you do? And you listen to him. And sometimes you're not sure. Oftentimes, maybe you won't be sure. Oftentimes, I'm not sure. And so I go to my Christian friends, my MC and my huddle, and I say, okay, here's my situation. What do you think Jesus would do if you mean? Based off of our understanding of the character of Jesus, as we seek Jesus together, we're helped to think, okay, here's what I think he would do in this situation. Here's how I think he would respond to your boss. Here's how I think he would prioritize your budget. And you start listening, seek discernment of what Jesus would do if he were you. So if you're trying to identify, okay, I'm going to go do the things that Jesus did. Where do I start? Well, I would say start with listening. First, start with abiding and then listening so that you can identify what Jesus would do if he were you. That's, so if you feel overwhelmed, begin there, those two things. And then the third thing I would say, just as a word of encouragement, is this. Uh, the act of doing, friends, the act of doing what Jesus would do is incredible. It's incredible. And, and yes, it's overwhelming and it's scary. <laughs> and it's pretty much always really outside of my comfort zone. It will be outside of your comfort zone. It's, it's, it's very 
fear-inducing. But it is also incredible that the invitation to join Jesus in his kingdom work, to do the things that he did with him, to see heaven break in, to see heaven come near, like there's just nothing like it. There's nothing as eternally significant and awesome as that. And like I just think about like Krista and I right now, like we have uh, been inviting some of our neighbors to watch this TV show, The Chosen, with us. And this show is on the life of Jesus, and we're trying to use it as a way to, to help engage our neighbors over the topic of Jesus and who he is and what he's like. Our hope is that they would choose to follow Jesus and fall in love with Jesus, receive the gift of grace found in Jesus. And so we, we're like, okay, we, we know that Jesus loves our neighbors, and we know that if Jesus was living next door to our neighbors, he would be helping them. He would be saying things like, hey, Come and follow me, right? Like he would be inviting them to be with him. And so I know, so we are like, we need to join in with Jesus to help our neighbors know him and see how awesome he is and what, how, who he is and what he's done for them. But it's so scary because these neighbors of ours, we've had relationships with them for years and years. We love them. We're good friends with them. And now it's like, man, if we do this, I wonder if things are going to get weird, you know, <laughs> like awkward and like, ah. Oh. And so, but we know this is what Jesus would do. So as followers of Jesus, Krista and I huddled together and we prayed and we prayed and we trembled and we said, all right, God, give us favor, give us courage. And then we went for it. And we invited three neighbors, three houses on our street to watch this thing. And guys, with every yes that we've received, which was, came from all three homes, I was just on cloud nine. Like, there's just nothing like that. Where I see, okay, God, look, 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 I was like, Krista, heaven is breaking through on Sinclair Avenue. Now, heaven is coming near. And our friends are, are being exposed to who Jesus is. And they may, they may choose to follow him. And we get to be a part of that. We're joining Jesus' kingdom work. Like, there's nothing, friends, there's nothing that compares to that. It's incredible. And yeah, it's overwhelming and it's scary. But it's also awesome. And friends, this is what Jesus has on offer for you and for me. He says, come and follow me. Be with me. As you're with me, I will help you become like me. And then I'll help you be able to do the things that I do. And that invitation is open to every one of us. The question is, will you? And friends, let me just say, for your sake, like for your joy and for his fame and for the good of our city, I really hope you'll say yes. I really hope you'll follow Jesus. For Austin will become a lot more like heaven as we become a lot more like Jesus. So let's go. Now, if you say, okay, I'm ready to go. You got, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go right, right now. I'm, which I'm, I'm just going to assume all of y'all are thinking, right? Like this is, yeah, I am in. Then where do we begin? The last thing I'm going to say is this. Where we begin or what your first step is off of this, off of this, I got a whole series, is, is um, it's going to differ depending on where you are in your apprenticeship to Jesus. For example, 
if you're like, okay, I want to begin, where do I begin? For some of y'all, where you need to begin is you need to begin to abide. If you're not practicing the way of Jesus, if you're not spending time with Jesus, abiding in the vine, like that is first and foremost, that's paramount, that's where you begin. And so for you, maybe you just begin by saying, okay, I'm going to start practicing the five, ten minutes of silence and solitude with, with God. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to hear from him. I'm going to set my alarm throughout the day uh, to remind me, you know, at different intervals to, to just pause and pray and be, just recognize, okay, God, you're with me. I haven't been with you. I've been busy working, but now I'm with you, and we're here together. And, like, you just begin abiding. That's where you should start. Now, others in here, you, you have been doing that. We all have room to continue to grow in abiding, but you say, God, I, I am. I'm, I'm practicing the way of Jesus. I'm abiding. Where do you go? What's your step? Well, for some of you, your step will be to get trained. Because when it comes to doing the things that Jesus did, you say, okay, I want to do that, but I don't really know how. And so if you need to get trained, like that's what our training huddles exist for. And like we've been promoting those for the last three weeks. They actually begin next week. And I would just highly recommend, here's my other plug, right, to get in a training huddle to learn how to do the things that Jesus did. And specifically, that we have the Discovering Your Calling training huddle, that that training huddle is specifically designed to help you see how God's wired you, gifted you, and given you the experience he's given you in order to shape you and be able to join him in his kingdom work in a unique way. It's powerful. It's a great huddle. Justin's leading that huddle. Alice is leading that huddle. There's still room to get into those huddles. Or the Living Scent huddle, which is specifically designed to help you learn how to live as a blessing to the people in your life. To live sent, as Jesus said, okay, pray for, the, pray for the Lord to send workers in the harvest field. You're like, this is training you how to do that, to be an answer to that prayer. And so Shelby's leading that, uh, this training huddle. Rob Walton's leading this training huddle. Highly recommend. It's very helpful. And then the third one, the Go Primer huddle, is really the idea of training you to how to be a disciple that makes disciples not just where you are right now, but yes, but also even with their eyes to the nations, as Jesus said in Matthew 28. So these are all here to help train you on how to do the things that Jesus did. I'd highly recommend you to jump into one of those. And like I said, they begin on the week of September 19th, so you still have time. But then others of you, you say, okay, well, what's my step? Third one, it might be that you're just ready to jump in and serve. You're abiding, you feel trained, or you're one of those people that's like, I don't really need training. I, I, I like to train on the job. And so if that's you, then you just jump right in. And there's three ways to do that that we're leaning into as a church this, this, uh, this fall. And I'm really excited about And I don't have time to tell you about them. But it's Ridgetop Elementary. We're going to be serving there. It's going to be so exciting. And I'll tell you more at the family gathering. And then the Refugee Services Refugee Service of Texas, we've been partnering with them for years, but we kind of had to hit pause because of COVID. But now they're asking for more volunteers to help deliver food to people who are in need, specifically refugees or people that have been uh, you know, uh, rescued out of sex trafficking. It's like, I'm going to deliver food once a week to these families. Like, that's a way to jump in and begin doing what Jesus would do. And then the third is these chosen invites. Our MCs are going to be watching The Chosen starting this week. And you would say, okay, let me invite some of my friends and neighbors to come and watch this with me or watch this with my community to be exposed to who Jesus is. This is a fantastic way to join in what Jesus' kingdom work. I highly recommend you take advantage of one or all of those things as the Spirit leads. And you listen to what Jesus would do if he were you. Okay? So, that's a lot. I mean, boil it all down for us. This whole series. 
Here's what I want you to take away. Friends, we want what Jesus wants for Austin. We want Austin to become more like heaven, for it to be in Austin as it is in heaven. And our role is to pray, and our role is to follow Jesus. And so will you accept Jesus' invitation to come and follow him, to be with him, so he can make you like him and train you to do what he did? Will you? That's really what it all comes down to. You have to decide. And the amazing thing is that invitation is open to every single one of us, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your situation. It's all comes down to you saying, I'm in. And then following through. And as a church family, we're here to help you do that. That's what we want, to help each other practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. So let us help you. But you got to decide. Will you? Are you in? Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.